All right, day 187, day 187. Welcome back to the Windows and Mirrors podcast. I'm John, and remember, this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the Bible is more like a window than it is a mirror. We come to it to look through it and see God. We don't come to it primarily to look at ourselves. Um, And this section of Isaiah that we're in, Isaiah 44 to 47, is really going to continue to highlight that point. All right, here's what takes place, just to give you a bit of context to where we are in the book. Um, At this point in the book, Isaiah has set um, an alarm clock. So he set a calendar reminder so that when God's people come back from exile, this note should pop up in their phones and they can read uh, all of what God promised that he would do beforehand. So Isaiah is a prophet in Israel who prophesied against both the personal sin, the idolatry of the people, and the systemic sin, right? The leaders that were oppressing the poor. And he says, yo, God sees them both. Both of them are detestable, and God's going to judge you for it. Isaiah 1 through 39, that's what takes place. However, that judgment is going to lead to a sense of hope. Isaiah 40 through 66, um, that's where we are right now. We're in the hope section. And Isaiah is likely dead at this time. But like I said, this is a calendar reminder uh, that pops up for people to be reminded of all the good things that God said that he would do. So they're back from exile. And right now in this section, the people have put God on trial because of what they've endured, right? They've endured this hardship and they feel like God has forgotten them. So even though God's provided liberation and brought them back. They're tempted not to put their trust in God and to put their trust in idols. And so this is a section where God is continuing uh, to show that he's the only one qualified for the job of Lord of their lives and Lord of their hearts. And so if the last section that we talked through um, yesterday was God's cover letter for why he's qualified for the job, this section is an argument for why no other God is, right? Israel was going to be flogged for their sin, right? Like your granny used to say, right? Go outside and get that switch. That's that's what God did when he sent them into exile. Uh, But this section is really God trying to cement that point. Look, don't mistake being disciplined by God with being discarded by God, right? Just because God disciplines us, it doesn't mean he's discarded us or thrown us away. So as God is on trial, this section is all about him showing his reliability and idols' inability to do anything. All right. Uh, One of the things that you can do as you read through four chapters each day, sometimes it's hard because you get lost in the details. So one of the things that I do is I step back. After I read, I just sit down, meditate, reflect, um, and I just kind of write down just one phrase, one phrase that captures all of this. Um, And the one phrase that captures all of this is God is basically saying to the people of Israel, as they have the nerve to compare him to these idols, God saying, fam, we built different. We are built different different. We aren't the same. And the rest of the time is going to be God contrasting how he's built with how these idols 
are built. And chapter 44 is one of my favorite chapters in the book because it highlights this uh, so much. So God's going to show this difference. In Isaiah 44, verse 9, God's going to say this, look, all who make idols are nothing, and what they treasure benefits nobody. So God's going to talk to them and to us about the futility of putting our hope in anything other uh, than him. And he's going to do this by this long, kind of drawn out, even sarcastic at some point, uh, words saying this, yo, whoever puts in the work to make the image is the God. And the image that's being made is the servant, right? So God's uh, kind of, you know, sarcastically poking fun at their idols because he's saying, look, y'all are worshiping things that y'all made. That's backwards. God's saying this, I made you and therefore you worship me, the person who creates the image is the God, and God's going to look at them in chapter 46, like, just read it, just read it with eyes, uh, or with, with ears, uh, yeah, yeah, read it with fresh ears, right, as if this is a Twitter back and forth, and you're going to see God say thing like, man, y'all are making idols, and you call them your gods, but it's like, they can't even go to the grocery store by themselves. Like y'all got to pack them in the car seat and drive them around. What kind of God is that? But God saying, yo, I'm built different. These idols are going to fail you. They don't last. The same ma material that y'all made to cook your food on is the material that you're making these idols out of. And God's going to continue to bring up their futility, but he doesn't just bring up their Futility, he brings out something so important, yeah, about himself. And God's going to say this look, the idols will fail you. But in Isaiah chapter 44, verse 21, God says this Remember these things, Jacob and Israel, for you are my servant. I formed you, right? I made you. You're my servant, Israel. You will never be forgotten by me, right? It, it's easy for you and I to think that God has forgotten us when we find ourselves experiencing hardship, right? There's nothing worse than present pain to make us feel like we're presently all alone and responsible for digging ourselves out of that ditch. Israel has felt that and they feel like God has forgotten them. And God says, no, no, listen, I'll never forget you, right? You remember being um, in summer camp when you were a kid and uh, you would meet your little summer camp love or fling and they would say things like, I'll never forget you. And you realize they lied, right? They forgot you as soon as they got home and somebody else paid them a little bit of attention. Um, but that's not the same with God. God created you. He created us. God will never forget us. Hardship now makes us think that he has, and I want you to know he hasn't, right? Or the other thing that makes us think that God will forget us at some point is that we know that we can't guarantee our 
faithfulness. Things now may be fine, but later uh, there's no guarantee that we're going to remain faithful or come through on the promises that we said that we would. So what hope do we really have that God will never forget us, uh, that God won't discard us when we constantly find ourselves being tempted to do things that should lead God to discard us, right? And here's the beauty of what God says. In the same vein that God says this, I won't forget you. God goes on to say this, I won't remember your sin. God won't forget us, but God won't remember our sin. Isaiah 44, 22 says this, God says, I have swept away your transgression like a cloud and your sin like a mist. Return to me for I have redeemed you. What I love is that God doesn't just speak in propositions. He's a poet, right? So he's not just going to say, I'm going to wipe all your sins away, but he's going to say, I'm going to sweep them away like a cloud. And the thing that we know about a cloud is as it moves, it's a different level of transience. There's no trace of it left behind at all, right? You walk through the snow or dirt and there's evidence that you pass through the snow or dirt because your footprints are there. When a cloud is moved away, there's no evidence that that cloud was there. No imprint, right? When it comes to sin, God isn't tracking your footprints through the valley of your mistakes, constantly reminding you of the errors that you made. God has promised here to his people, right, that he would sweep it away like a cloud. No evidence that it's been there. Moving clouds is something that's wholly impossible for us. Seems easy, but you've never moved a cloud. But God says, yo, I'm going to sweep it away. I'm going to do away with it easily. And what we know is that our God gathered these rain clouds of wrath and he moved them from us, but he let them rain down on his son, Jesus. And these dark clouds of sin showered a rainstorm on Jesus for you because of God's great love for you. It's not just that he hasn't forgotten you, but all of his goodness, right? 45 is going to talk about God being sovereign and nobody can tell him what to do. And he's going to show it in the way that he's using Cyrus to bring back his people. Chapter 46, God's going to go on and, and say, there's nobody like me. God is a living God. God is eternal. God doesn't change. Chapter 47, God talks about even Babylon, they, they are troublesome, and God's going to highlight that evil, however it's been used by God, always has an expiration date. And you see all of this goodness that God has in the way that he's built. And the good news of this part of this section is that all of God's goodness is directed towards his people is directed towards you in mercy today. So instead of building your hope on things that you can build, your financial portfolio, your career, your wisdom, your reputation, 
uh, realize that your hope is already built on God who's saying he's built different, right? Compare him with anything else and you'll come into contact with a God that is built different. All his goodness is directed towards you in mercy today. Uh, if anything, I think the only application is that as you go through the course of the day, go through the course of the day with a smile on your face as you remember the goodness of God. He's built different. Father, I pray that you would help us to be reminded of your goodness extended towards us in Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.